why I'm so comfortable with saying what I'm about to say, but I think it's okay for us as a society, just generally as a, as a collective people, let's just shoot, let's just shoot the entire big 10 into the sun because it's all bad. It's all bad. Um, it's death taxes and James Franklin losing the big game at Penn State. I mean, nothing ever changes, it feels like, for Penn State. Um, they could be a top two ranked team in the country. And if they were playing, uh, you know, the seventh ranked team in the country, I would not have a lot of confidence in Penn State to get it done with James Franklin. It's just um, they had all all the marbles were in there or the ball was in their court. Whatever analogy, analogous phrase you want to use, everything was in there court they they had all the momentum heading into that game jim harbaugh had to be suspended on the tarmac when they landed at wherever they landed, the penn state private college or, or private uh, airport near the college that they have around there i'm assuming they had to fight they, they suspended jim harbaugh on the sideline or on the tarmac excuse me so they're, they're going in uh, with a different head coach that is on the sideline for that game and it didn't matter. It did not matter. Michigan came out. They they dominated the ball on the ground. They didn't. They ran the ball the entire second half. They did not throw the football one time in the second half. And Penn State could not stop it the entire game. They could not stop it the entire game in the second half as well. Uh, and then when they did get the ball back, they couldn't do anything on offense either. Even granted, Michigan's defense is also very good. So is Penn State's. Penn State's defense is supposed to be very good as well. Um, but Michigan being able to run the ball with 30 plus times in a row or whatever it was, it's just, that was it's disappointing. And from here on out, I'm just like, you know what, Penn State, I, if it's a top 10 team, I'm staying away. I am staying away from you, Penn State. Don't care who it is. It could be Syracuse that's having a top 10 season or some, something like that. If you're playing Penn State, or if you're playing Syracuse, Penn State is playing Syracuse, then uh, I'm out. You know, I'll pick Syracuse. That's just, that, that's how it is. They cannot get over their own hump. They can't beat uh, anybody other than than themselves and like the Big Ten West, which is all bad football teams, pretty much. Um, and that's just that's where we're at with James Franklin and Penn State. I don't think they're ever going to be able to to get over the hump of Ohio State and Michigan uh, as long as those two teams are still in the Big Ten. Who knows where they're going to be? I mean, they'll probably still be in the Big Ten, but who knows where they'll be? Where they'll be? You know, ten years down the line or whatever. Um, Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I am your host, James Timberlake. Uh, remember, you to uh, you can listen to the show wherever you listen to your popular podcasts on any of the popular podcasting platforms that you should uh, you so desire to listen to the show on. Please leave it a rating as well if you're listening to it on any of those podcasting platforms. I would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, five stars, though. I mean, if, you, if you're giving me one star, I mean, obviously, I don't appreciate that. But if you're giving five stars, then I shout out you. I, it's a big shout out. Um, post every Wednesday, you got or post every it's Tuesday. Yeah, post every Tuesday, uh, Tuesday evening. So always keep a tune out. Keep the get the notification. Hey, click that notification bell. You know how it works. This isn't YouTube, but there's got to be something similar to that. Um, and yeah, let's get we're, let's let's get let's get the ball rolling, if you will. Uh, yeah, so that Michigan Penn State game that was probably. Probably the biggest game of the day. We had Utah Washington as well. That was a pretty good game or a pretty big game as well, just in terms of um, everything that's going to line up towards the end of the year. But I think I believe that Michigan Penn State game was the biggest game of the weekend. Um, and it was pretty I mean, all things considered, to be honest with you, it was pretty disappointing. It felt like Michigan was in control for it felt like that entire game. Like I, this cannot be overstated enough. 
J.J. McCarthy, who is the quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines, is a Heisman prospect, but he only had to throw nine passes that entire game, which is absurd in, in modern-day college football for a top a top five team in the country to only have to throw nine times and still basically win that game pretty handily. I mean, it was the final score was 24 to 14. So it's not like it was a blowout by any means, but it never felt like it was out of Michigan's hands. Um, and to have that, you know, your quarterback only throw it nine times uh, against Penn state, who was another top 10 team and still win rather comfortably is, is just insane to me. Like that is insane. And we're not talking about an air force team or an army team or a Navy team or anything like that. This is Michigan, Michigan football with a Heisman hopeful quarterback only had to throw the ball nine times. Like that is insane for 60 yards, nine times for 60 yards. That's probably going to hurt his Heisman campaign, but you know, as all quarterbacks do, they'll probably just be like, you know, when we're just here for the championship, we just want to win the chipper, the big, the big chipper, if you will. Uh, And Blake Corum had a crazy day after the, after the game, he was in a post game interview and he has, you know, his nose was all cut up and stuff. He was bleeding. It was insane. Uh, But he had 26 carries, 145 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, he just got whatever he wanted on the ground. And then he had Donovan Edwards who had 10 carries, 52 yards and a touchdown as well. Like, I, I just, I, that blows my mind um, for Penn State, really. For that to happen, as bad as it was, um, it was just, I mean, it, it was bad. And again, it was only 24 to 15. It was a nine-point game. But still, it felt like Michigan was just a cut above Penn State. And the fact that they only had to, they ran the ball the entire second half. That Like, that's not, I'm not being facetious, like, or obtuse. That is literally, like, that, you can look at the stats. Every single play that Michigan ran in the second half was, on offense, was a run play which is insane. It is modern day college football. It looked like I was, felt like I was back. I got transported back to the sixties. It was, I don't want to see it ever again. Like just please. I'd rather watch any other type of football than the one that we got between Penn state and Michigan Just shoot big 10 straight into the sun. Like I honestly, the big 10, it should be thanking USC and Washington at this point for coming over because, and Oregon, um, because they're going to boost the offensive output of that conference like tenfold, just tenfold. Michael Penix won't be there next year for Washington. Uh, and Caleb Williams might not be there for USC. We'll see. Um, but it, to me, it doesn't really matter because whoever they bring in, like it's going to, in terms of who the, the quarterback wise uh, for both of those teams, they're going to be good. And Bo Nix isn't going to be in Oregon. Like most of those offenses right now would be the best in the class at the, in the big 10. So big 10 having a kind of a rough year, to be honest with you, outside of Michigan and Ohio state, like Penn state just hasn't been, you know, a team that you can count on to win those big games. They never really have been under, uh, under James Franklin, but it felt like this was kind of going to be the year they had drew Aller. Um, who was supposed to be a pretty high, uh, a big hopeful at quarterback at the quarterback position for them, but he has not necessarily panned out. They haven't really given him the opportunities to try to, um, you know, become the guy that they need to point that they want to point to. Um, but you know, their defense is still very good, but uh, you know, again, it just hasn't panned out. Um, I think the way the Penn state, obviously that Penn state's fans have hoped for, and I don't think they're going to get over. Um, yeah, they haven't gotten over the Michigan hump and I don't think they're going to get over the Ohio state hump either. So it doesn't you know, feel, you know, more of the same for the big 10 Ohio state, and Michigan every single year. And then we'll have Iowa out of the big 10 West, which somehow eight and two or top 25 rated school. I don't ask me how I don't understand it either. Uh, but they're going to be in the Big Ten championship, championship game, it looks like, along with either Michigan or Ohio State. And Michigan or Ohio State are probably going to blow out Iowa by 40 points. And then one of them is going to get into uh, the college football playoff. And that's just how it works. Welcome to Big Ten football, baby. Everybody else is just a punching bag for Ohio State and uh, Michigan. That That's that's Big Ten football. Um, 
All right. Big news. We have big news. As, as a the proprietor, if you will, the commissioner, at least in this show, as the commissioner of the Jimbo Fisher is overrated fan club, it was with surprise, honestly, that he got fired this weekend. Jimbo Fisher was let go by Texas A&M. Um, he has an, an insane buyout for anybody that doesn't know. Uh, well, first, let me point this out. He had, he finished with a worse record, a worse win percentage than Kevin Sumlin did when he was at Texas A&M, which is looking back at the Kevin, Kevin Sumlin era, pretty wild, to be honest with you. He probably like looking back at it, comparing the two teams overall, I would argue that I, you know, I wouldn't say overall that Kevin Sumlin recruited better than Jimbo Fisher, but at the quarterback position, maybe didn't recruit better, but turned better prospects out with, I mean, you're basically only have to look at Johnny Menzel and be like, okay, yeah, yes, because Jimbo Fisher just has not done that outside of, uh, even at Florida state outside of James Winston, like, and that, that was all it took. James Winston should be making some of that buyout money, by the way, because he got, he got Jimbo Fisher that job. Like James Winston does not, or Jimbo Fisher does not get that job at Texas A&M from Florida state without James Winston period. Um, and basically since then he has not turned out any note, uh, very many notable quarterback uh, quarterback players from that position at either uh, at either Texas A&M or Florida state. So I think this is the right move by Texas A&M. We'll see who they hire in his place. That's, I mean, I don't think they're going to be giving out any egregious contracts like that anytime soon, obviously. So they don't have to pay it out either. Um, by the way, the payout for Jimbo Fisher, $77 million, $77 million. Um, they're going to have to pay 25% of it within 60 days of his firing, which is $19.3 million by mid January, this upcoming January. And then annual payments through the end of 2031 of about $7.2 million per year till 2031, which is and we got a new Bobby Manila. I don't, I think he's going to, I mean, he's going to coach again, Bobby Bonilla. He didn't play for a long time. Um, but I mean, this is very, very similar, more money, but similar, um, is the biggest buyout in the history of college football. Second place, uh, is Gus Malzahn when he was let go by Auburn and his buyout was 21 and a half million dollars, which the difference there is 53 and a half million dollars is the difference between second and first place. Uh, biggest buyouts in of in contract history, which is insane. In like the the money in coaching is just absurd, especially with the SEC schools. Like Gus Malzahn down to twenty one and a half at Auburn is a lot, but you look at like Kirby Smart's buyout at Georgia, things just start like turn you know taking a turn for worse there, which I don't expect to happen. But um, his buyout is like ninety six million dollars or something ridiculous like that. Nick Saban's buyout's like forty four million dollars. Like you go through the line of all the sec schools, you like, they would probably dot most of that top 10 list of, um, buyouts that are uh, possible buyouts that are still in play, uh, for college football coaches, because there's a lot, uh, I mean, there's so much money. I just love the idea that, like the fact now that we're just kind of, we're just taking it as, yeah, this is just semi-professional football at this point. Like we're paying these coaches an absurd amount of money. Some of the candidates too are interesting that Texas A&M, are looking to, I mean, rumored to be looking at to go and grab. Uh, Dan Campbell is one of them, which I can't see in a million billion years. But he was, I mean, he's a he's an alumnist of Texas A&M. He graduated from Texas A&M, went there, played football at Texas A&M. So 
there's obviously a connection there, but I don't see, I mean, he's probably, I mean, he's in the running to win coach of the year in the NFL. Like there's no shot. He leaves the lions to go and uh, be head coach at Texas Sam. No shot. Uh, they, I mean, and he'll probably be offered like more money. I would imagine to go coach at Texas A&M, which is insane to me. Um, but I mean, once you get to the big show, like you don't want to go back down and especially because head coaching or coaching in college football is a much different um, type of coaching than it is in the NFL. Like the NFL is obviously a lot more in-house based, but when it comes to college coaching, like you are on the road constantly because you have to recruit and recruiting is like your lifeline. You, you're not going to become a better team unless you're looking forward to the next year or year and a half, two years, three years down the line and recruiting players for those recruiting classes. And that's all you're doing all the time. And you have to like really fall in love with that in order to be a head coach in college football, I'm not saying it's harder by any means, but it's just different. Like it's a different type of um, skill that you have to be able to have. Um, some of the other, uh, according to some of the odds that I've been looking at uh, around the betting scene for some of these new coaches coming in, Mike Elko, who's the Duke head coach. He is going to be, I would imagine leaving Duke by the end of the season, just because of how good Duke has done. Um, and Duke is not necessarily, you know, a premier college football program, much more, no offense to Duke. I mean, they're having a very good season. They've had some very good spotty seasons here and there at Duke. Um, but I mean, everybody at Duke's a basketball, sh- uh, basketball school. Everybody knows that. Um, so Elko, once he's done this season, I would imagine he is looking for another job elsewhere as well. Um, I wouldn't, and he's the favorite right now to get hired, um, right now, which it's still very early, obviously. Um, so he is the favorite um, to be the next head coach at Texas A&M. Jeff Trailer, the UTSA head coach. Dan Lanning, which surprises me. I don't, I mean, the SEC is always, it feels like the the biggest, you know, the, the, the last stop for college coaches, obviously. Um, but I mean, Oregon's a pretty good job for Dan Lanning. I think that that job works well. They have a ton of money at Oregon, obviously. I don't think they're going to have any problem paying Dan Lanning. Um, they're moving into the Big Ten, which will be, you know, more marquee matchups for that. They're still going to be playing Washington, USC, but also Michigan, Ohio state. Um, but you know, I'm at the sec will forever be, you know, the, the, the last spot that every head coach wants to go be at for college football, Kalen DeBoer, which is another PAC 12 uh, head coach. He coaches Washington is another option um, in there that has some pretty good odds on it. I don't know about that one either. I guess Washington would maybe be a little different than Oregon. Money's a lot different in Oregon than it is in Washington. Obviously, you're going to be losing Michael Penix this next season uh, or this offseason. So, you know, if you're if you're, you're going to leave, then now would probably be the best time. Lane Kiffin is in here, which would totally surprise me. I don't know why he would jump from Ole Miss to Texas A&M other than strictly for money. They're both SEC schools, obviously. Um, and that one would very much surprise me. Lance Leopold, the Kansas head coach. Don't see that one at all just because he's constantly said he's going to be Kansas for the rest of his time. Uh, coaching as he said that, I mean, we've heard that before, but he said that over and over and over again. I don't see Lance Leopold leaving Kansas um, to go be the head coach at Texas A&M. Mike Norvell is another one, the Florida state head coach, which would also surprise me. Um, just because of how well that team has kind of come together and he's really brought that program back. I don't see him making the jump to Texas A&M because that's another good program that you don't, uh, you know, a tier, a tier one type program uh, at Florida state. I don't know why he would leave Florida state to go be the head coach of Texas A&M, but my, if, if it were my pick right now, I mean, Mike Elko would probably be the, the one that makes the most sense. That's a huge leap though, to go from Duke university football, which Again, no offense to Duke. I mean, they're having a good season, but like the expectations a lot different, a lot different, like way different from Duke 
football to Texas A&M football. Like way, way. Like we saw how much money they paid Jimbo. That's the expectation. They during his press conference, one of the funniest things that is getting clowned on now more than ever. One of the funniest things that happened uh, during that opening press conference for Jimbo Fisher. I think the athletic director was the person that did this. Um, but they handed him this athletic director whose name I don't remember handed him a plaque that said Jimbo Fisher or something like that. Texas A&M national champions 2000 blank blank because they were so confident that Jimbo Fisher was going to bring them in a national title they gave him a plaque beforehand that said hey we're just giving this to you now because we're we think you're going to win this national championship and now that just looks really funny and really dumb so uh yeah Jimbo Jimbo let go at Texas A&M the right move for Texas A&M, uh, 100% the right move. It's a lot of money, but I mean, it's Texas A&M school. Those oil, oil futures are probably doing good right now, so they got the money. Um, it'll be curious to see where Jimbo Fisher ends up. Um, I, if Mike Elko leaves, maybe he heads over to Duke. That's probably too low of, I mean, honestly, I still think he could get a job at a pretty high marquee place. Um, you know, a Pac-12 school or, you know, a Power 5 conference type school, an ACC school as well. I just think Duke is maybe a little too small for Jimbo Fisher. He might take some time off because, let's be honest, there's no better job on planet Earth right now than being a bad college football head coach because you'll just get fired and get bought out for $77 million. Like, he's just going to have money rolling in, $7.2 million to be exact, until 2031. Like, that's a pretty good gig. He doesn't have to do anything for the next, whatever, eight years, that is. Um, just go buy a nice little villa somewhere in off the coast of Florida or something like that on the coastline next to the beach. Chill out for like eight years, really get a grasp on watch some film because for whatever reason, I imagine that's what coaches do on their off time. Um, and just, you know, it gets a firm perspective a little bit. It's a, get a grasp of things. Um, it'll be interesting though. I do think he is. Here's the thing. I, the other, like, I don't, he probably won't return to head coaching right away. One thing that to keep an eye on, I mean, the, the, the best, a rehabilitation center for all coaches. And everybody knows what I'm talking about in college football. Just head to Alabama, head to Alabama, become a defensive assistant or become a defensive coordinator of some kind, because they just roll coaches in and now they're there yearly. And by the time they're done, their head coach is somewhere else. That is just the, that's what they do over at Alabama. So if Jimbo Fisher needs a rehabilitation, then he is probably heading head into uh, head into Alabama to become, you know, the next in a long line of, former head coaches and possibly future head coaches uh, that have gone through the rehabilitation center of Alabama football. He could be a defensive assistant. He could, he could coach tight ends or cornerbacks or whatever he wants. Um, and he'll be, he'll probably be hired as a head coach again in like five years or maybe even less three years, three to five years. And he's back and he's still getting paid $7.2 million each year to coach tight ends or whatever. Like that's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad gig. If you're, if you're Jimbo Fisher. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme. 
Their cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that like, likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. Anyway, shout out to Jimbo Fisher. He's going to find a job. He's going to be totally okay. He's making a ton of money. Don't feel bad for Jimbo Fisher. Like, he may have gotten, he may have lost his job, but he's making a ton of money. Like, he's going to be totally fine. Um, so, yeah, he, and he's going to land on his feet. He's going to get a, a D, an, an assistant job or a coordinator job of some kind at some big school, and he's going to be fine. Bounce right back, and he's going to be a head coach again somewhere. Like, gu- guaranteed. You can put a Jimmy T guarantee on that one i promise you um okay our poo poo garbage no good game of the week brought to you by our good folks good friends at iowa football they're usually the ones that are going to ruin this every week but this week it is not them it is not them gracing the poo poo garbage no good game of the week they had a uh, game against rutgers this past week and they won 22 to nothing the over under for that game the total for that game was 28 and a half so the under hit congrats to all that bet under 28 and a half you madmen um, but I mean, at least a little something was happening in that game. This game though, nothing was happening. I mean, there was nothing happening. It was a lot of, it was one of those games where like one team was driving to, they start from the 25 or whatever, or inside the 10 drive all the way down to the opposing teams, 45 or something like that. And then punt it or whatever. And that's, that was basically the entire game. It is Maryland at Nebraska. Uh, this game was garbage, ladies and gentlemen. It was a bad football game. Not fun to watch. Hey, sticking with the trend, though, with Iowa, or with, not Iowa football. I mean, kind of Iowa football. Um, with Big Ten football, just shoot it straight into the sun. Nothing worse on planet Earth right now than watching Big Ten football. It is, uh, it's not a great time. It's not very fun. But here we are. Here we are. Um Final score for this game was 13 to 10. The offense was kind of cooking pretty well for Maryland. Like they still have Talia to uh, Tungavailoa, who is a very good quarterback, probably not as good as his brother. I don't think he's going to be a professional, uh, at least in the same sense of his brother. Um, but like their offense was still doing pretty solid, but here's the thing. It was one of those games, like I said, where they would, they would drive. Uh, they had an average uh, yards per drive of 42 yards per drive. So they would, they would drive down the field a little bit and then they would just punt it away. Like that was most of the game for Nebraska. Um, Offense was no good. It was the exact opposite. It was terrible. It was it's honestly a miracle they were even in this game. Their offense was terrible. Ter- and I cannot stress this enough. Terrible. Just awful. They gave up nine turnovers. They had, or excuse me, they didn't have nine turnovers. The total, they had to- total in this game, there were nine turnovers. Maryland had three, and uh, Nebraska had six turnovers. Six turnovers in one football game, and they only lost by three. Honestly, a miracle. They were doing a lot of stuff. Nebraska was with their with their quarterbacks. They were They brought in... Uh, Chuba Purdy at one point, they brought in Heinrich uh, Harburg at one point. They both had an interception apiece. Jeff Sims, who was the starting quarterback, only had eight for, he went eight for 13 for 62 yards. He had two interceptions. It was a disaster for Nebraska. And the fact that they were even in this game is really more of a testament, or I guess a, a down testament, whatever the word for that is, um, a negative towards Maryland because the fact that it was only 13 to 10 is... I mean, it's insane. It's truly insane because their offense, Nebraska's offense was terrible. Just bad all game long. Their, their rushing offense was okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they turned the ball over as well twice, uh, fumbling the football away. So, 
you know, it's just a, just a bad day. Just a bad day for Nebraska football and Maryland. Honestly, just not very impressive showing by either one of these teams. And it was the um, far and away, the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week. It was a decent day punting. It was a decent punting day. If, you, if, you're, if you're into that, the decent punting day, we had some nice long punts. Three inside the 20 for Brendan Segovia. And honestly, that's like, I mean, for a game that's 13 to 10, that's like an MVP type day. Like that's a big game of the day or a player of the day type of performance from Brandon Segovia. Three punts, all three inside the 20. That's uh that's a good day for Brendan Segovia. Um, so yeah, that was the poopoo garbage. No good game of the week. Uh, just dreadful. Not good. Not fun to watch. Tiresome. Just boring. Not great. Uh, the actual good game of the week. Actual good game of the week. I didn't write this one down because it was kind of a tough pick. I think I'd probably go FSU versus Miami. Miami finally looked like they were going to, at the, I mean, the very least, they gave the FSU the toughest test that they had had against Miami in a while. Um, and FSU and Miami was driving towards the end of that game and then uh, got picked off at the end uh, to seal it. Um, but that was a very fun game. I think that would probably be my pick for the actual good game of the week. FSU-Miami, that's a, that's a rivalry that's always been fun, even though the... They've kind of been good at separate times, if that makes sense. It's never been like Michigan, Ohio State, where they've always been good against one another. There have been some times with FSU and Miami where they've both been good at the same time, but it's kind of been few and far between. Either FSU was not very good and Miami was good or vice versa, or they were both just not very good. Um, but now, you know, it seems like Miami's kind of trying, kind of getting on the right track. We'll see. Uh, they're six and four on the season. FSU, obviously undefeated, a playoff hopeful type team. I mean, from here on out, they should probably get into the play win their conference and get into the playoff. Um, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see if Miami ends up getting better. And then they, we can actually have like, cause this rivalry is kind of taken a backseat for, uh, from a lot of the other big rivalries that we have in college football, just because of the product that was being put on the field was not nearly as good. But now with FSU as a top five team in the country, Miami, like I said, looking to kind of get their way back to being Miami football. We'll see if this, uh, this, this uh, rivalry rivalry kind of, builds its way back. I think the FSU like Clemson rivalry has been better over the last few years. Um, or like Notre Dame versus versus Clemson over the last few years has been a little bit better, but anyways, um, yeah, that was, that was the good game of the day. I'm going to, I'm confident that Washington, Utah was also very good as well. Um, but I'm going to go FSU Miami. That was, that was a fun game rivalry game and a fun game to watch. Okay. Let's talk some NFL, lots of big NFL news. We're going to get to a lot of it next. Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307 763 
1249 or Kathleen at 307 461 7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. NFL football. Who doesn't love some NFL football? Um, I want to talk really quick about something that I've noticed over the past, I mean, basically the past few years. Um, Bill Belichick, head coach, probably the the greatest head coach of all, of all time, of all time in the history of the NFL. Just by record, Super Bowls, you know, you name it. He's probably got the record for it at this point, including losses. Like that's quickly approaching as well. Um, wanted to talk about how quickly like that entire sport and the fan bases in that sport can turn on you. Uh, New England as a football franchise historically was up until the Tom Brady years bad was a very historically bad franchise. Like the laughing stock for, I, I would argue the laughing stock of the NFL for a very long time. Um, Bill Belichick gets there who granted Bill Belichick. I, I still think is a very, very good head football coach. Um, we'll get into some of the areas that I think he's not as good at, but you know, he, before he was head coach, I mean, he was a, a defensive coordinator for a championship winning giants team, uh, multiple championship winning giants teams, um, as well as a Browns team that you know, granted wasn't very good, but they turned it like when under his tenure, that defense got a lot better. Um, and numerous other situations that he helped turn around, but bill Belichick, in my opinion, is still a very, very good head coach. I will argue that, his evaluation of talent has drastically fallen off over the past few years. Um, if you look at the drafts that they have had from basically, I mean, 2017 on, uh, it has kind of been a less than stellar draft class after less than stellar draft class, like year after year, it has been not very good to be honest with you. If you go through the list that he has there, especially, I mean, even looking at first round picks, it's kind of a, uh, you, you, you give them the big old yikers, if you will, um, because there's a lot of picks in there that just haven't really uh, become any, you know, done really anything for that football team or have gone on to play better for a, a different football team and kind of shown out for a different football team. Um, and that's a, obviously a very big problem for uh, for Bill Belichick, him being the, the general manager and the one making those calls as well. Or the I don't know if he's the director of player personnel or whatever they call it, but he makes the calls on who they're going to pick up for. Uh, the NFL draft, he is the the guy that at last comes through. Um, and a lot of the picks that he's had uh, have been pretty pretty less than stellar in general in the NFL draft over the past few years. They have not been a very good drafting football team. Uh, their most prominent uh, pick over the last, I mean, Mac Jones, obviously, but outside of the quarterback position that has actually uh, been very good, Like, and this isn't really a joke, to be honest with you, Um would probably be Jake Bailey, <laughs> They're the punter uh, that they picked in the fifth round in 2019. Now, granted, there's a lot of different ways to look at this as well. Damian Harris was very, it was pretty solid for them uh, at running back. Um, Sony Michelle was pretty solid for them at running back as well. Got Isaiah Wynn in there, which he had some good years for um, the New England Patriots as well. Um, so you can go through this list and, and you'll probably find some pretty decent players. But I think for the most part, like they just have not had um, a very good a very good um, stretch uh, where they were drafting players out of college and they just have not panned out very well. Chase Winovich was pretty good from uh, 2019. Um, and there's, again, there's some other guys. So I'm just kind of picking and choosing. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy to me how quickly that 
a fan base that has been given everything by Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Now, granted, Tom Brady, looking back on it now, has probably was a larger portion of that pie. I would say, um, not not saying you know, I, I still think Bill Belichick is a very good head football coach. I think he's one of the best. He's clearly one of the best all time, but I still think he's one of the best in the game today. Um, but with that being said, uh, the 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 lack of evaluation of talent and the draft. And the drafts that he has had over the past few years, dating back to like 2017, and even before that, if you want to look at it, I think, but 2017 was kind of the point where it felt like it was beginning to change a little bit. Um, and then once Tom Brady left as well in 2019, that really kind of began everything. Um, it, it, the, the, how much the fan base can really just turn on, you no matter what you provided uh, in the previous 20 years of your tenure as the f- head football coach, uh, which was what seven Super Bowls or whatever, f- six Super Bowls to New England, they became one of the winningest franchises in the history of the NFL uh, over those next whatever fifteen to twenty years uh, with him as head coach and Tom Brady at, at at quarterback. One of the best franchises in the history of the game, one of the best runs in the history of the game. But the moment it all starts to fall apart, you know, just uh, three years after, I guess four years after Tom Brady left. The offense doesn't look any good. Mac Jones is not a very good quarterback. The backup you have in there really has not shown anything either, apart from a half of a football game. Um, and, you know, the injuries are mounting up, mounting up on the defensive side. There's problems there. And there's just really been no development from any of the positions outside of some defensive positions. But offensively, there's just been nothing there since Tom Brady has left that has given anybody any hope that they're going to turn this around anytime soon while Bill Belichick is head coach. Um, to have it change that quickly is truly unique to, I think really only foot or only uh, sports in general like that, that it's insane how quickly on a dime it can really change your perspective as a fan being, you know, Bill Belichick's the greatest head coach of all time, which I, you know, I still think a lot of new England fans still believe that by, by all means, but there's still there. There are plenty that are also ringing the firing bell. Like they're saying, Hey, he's as I mean, including uh Teddy Bruschi. He went on, um, one of the ESPN shows, I don't know which one, I think it was NFL today or whatever it was NFL now or whatever it was. Um, and he was saying, Hey, maybe Bill Belichick needs to step away. Teddy Bruschi, who three peated as the, uh, the primary linebacker, the Mike linebacker for one of those teams that, that run in the, in the mid two thousands, uh, with that team. And he was going on, um, ESPN and saying, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe Bill Bel- it's time for Bill Belichick to, t- to step away from the program to, to leave because He's not getting it done anymore, which is insane to me. That is wild for Teddy Bruschi to be saying that. And, you know, he has every right to believe that I'm not bashing him by any means, uh, but it's, it's it's truly insane. Just three short years, how quickly, you know, Tom Brady solidified his, um, his, his, his legacy as being the greatest quarterback of all time, without a doubt, the greatest player in football history. It feels like he can still do it today. I, people have constantly joked that whenever an injured quarterback goes down, everybody's like, well, maybe Tom Brady can still do it. But now with Bill Belichick still at the Patriots, still in New England, suffering through New England, uh, the New England weather and the, the weird area that, that Foxborough is in, just in terms of the separation between where Foxborough is to Boston, the closest metropolitan city, um, and he, there he is still suffering through it. He's lost a little bit of his legacy, a little, a, a tiny bit. Uh, and he's still suffering through it. He's not, I, he's just, he just like, yeah, you know what? We're on to, we're on to Cincinnati. And like, that's, that's Bill Belichick. And it's crazy how much, um, that can all just quickly change. That can all, that becomes very fun and loving when you're 13 and three. And it's not even loving. It's just interesting to see him like, you know, we're on to Cincinnati, you know, not fun or interesting at all. And how much more, um, 
love that gets when you're 13 and three versus now when you're two and eight or whatever they are, um, or two and nine and how much that quickly changes. So it just and becomes very annoying, uh, when you're doing it, when you're two and nine uh, on in the NFL. So anyways, Bill Belichick, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens to Bill Belichick. I don't think he's going to get fired because I mean, he's brought so much to that team, but again, you can't be a very good owner in professional football, like Robert Kraft and look at the, big uh, resume of work that Bill Belichick has put together and ignore the last few years. Like you still have to pay attention to that as well, as well as the six Super Bowls he brought into New England. You also have to look at the past three years where they have not drafted well. The, uh, the talent has not developed very well through that team. And they have pretty much progressively gotten worse year after year after year uh, ever since Tom Brady has left. So It'll be interesting to see. I, I'm I'm curious to see if they. I, I don't think they're going to fire him at all. Like, I, there's been some rumblings, I guess, but I mean, not really anything too serious or anything to take seriously. That what I I would imagine would be him being fired. But um, we'll see. We'll see with Tom, or we'll see. Well, not Tom Brady. We'll see with Bill Belichick. I am I am unsure. Um, the Bills, man, the Bills. Speaking of AFC East, let's stay there. Let's talk Buffalo. Buffalo fans. Buffalo Bills fans. It might be time to start getting those mock drafts ready. If I'm being honest with you, a lot of season left. Like they could finish 11 and five, but uh, there's a, uh, there's something wrong. There's something wrong in Buffalo. There is something brewing in Buffalo and not in a good way. They just fired Ken Dorsey, which is their former offensive coordinator, um, which was a surprise to me. I could not believe they fired Ken Dorsey. I did not think he was the problem by any means. I thought their offensive play calling was not necessarily the issue. Um, here's a stat for you. This is from Mina Kimes, the absolute goat. We love Mina Kimes on this show. Uh, she tweeted out the bills offense through week 10. They are third in DVOA first in success rate, third in EPA per play, fourth in QBR third in yards per play, second and third down conversion percentage and third in red zone efficiency. They are also, uh, over the past month, they were, uh, some people were questioning and saying, Hey, maybe, uh, they were getting, fat off of the bad teams if if you will uh but over the past month which is where a lot of these problems seem to have arisen uh they were have been first in success rate eighth in epa per play which is you know it's a, it's a little bit of a drop off but it's not a steep drop off they are 32nd 32 32nd in turnover margin something to be uh something to keep an eye on i do think they did bring in uh they did promote from within obviously interim offensive coordinator joe brady who put together one of the greatest single college football passing games that I've ever seen in my entire life. That was the season with, uh, he was the passing game coordinator for LSU when Joe Burrow was there. Jamar Chase was there. Justin Jefferson was there. Uh, and that, you know, insane team back in, when was that? 2018, something like that, 2017, 2018. Um, so I think Joe Brady is probably like the perfect guy to slide in there. We'll see if he has, you know, if it, it'll obviously be different from college football. Um, and I believe he was an offensive coordinator for Carolina a little bit right after they won the national championship at LSU. Uh, he went on to be the offensive coordinator at Carolina, but with the weapons that he has, such as Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, still a very good talented football team on the offensive side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see if they make any sort of, I mean, you know, you're not going to make any drastic changes on the offense, you know, this late in the season. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they do make some sort of um, just general, general changes that seem to improve it. But granted, I, there wasn't a lot to improve on. Like I just ran through those stats, obviously, and there's not a lot there that you need to improve on as an offense. The turnovers are a disaster. Uh, Josh Allen has been 
the worst in the football in the league since joining the NFL at turning the ball over, throwing interceptions. He has been the worst uh, player in the league to turn the ball over, just cut and dry, plain and simple. Um, and that's not necessarily anything Ken Dorsey has to do with it. I mean, that is more Josh Allen or more the wide receiver or whatever, but mainly Josh Allen. Like turnovers are usually, especially interceptions, are usually a quarterback stat for the most part. Like almost almost always they are a quarterback stat. It is a quarterback's fault that the ball is being intercepted. Um, not all the time, but I would say, you know, 85 to 90% of the time it is on the quarterback uh, that that ball was intercepted. So the the firing surprised me because again, I did not think Ken Dorsey was necessarily the problem by any means in uh, Buffalo. It really blew my mind that I saw that he was being fired. Maybe, I mean, there could be other things going on there. Maybe they see a lot in Joe Brady and they're just going to move him up regardless. And this was the best time to do it. But again, Sean McDermott, his like, you can't really have a drop off from a season ago, the season that they had to this season um, and have a drop off like this without your seat getting a little bit hot. So I'm curious to see, uh, what they do at um, offensive coordinator once the offseason comes around. If Joe Brady improves the offense, uh, offense by um, a substantial mar- a margin, maybe they keep him. And something that is, I mean, really interesting is the fact that Sean McDermott took over the defensive play calling a bit, uh, uh, duties as head coach. And I think their defense across the board has not been nearly as good. Granted, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries on that side of the football. They lost Davis White for the whole season. Matt Milano has been hurt for basically this entire season. They lost a couple guys up front as well that have hurt their defensive ability a lot uh, in the run game, especially. But um, Davis White has hurt them. The, the loss of Davis White has hurt them through the pass game as well. Um, so, you know, I think that is probably the more suspect situation is the defense than it has been the offense. Um, and to see Sean McDermott fire his offensive coordinator when the offense has basically outplayed the defense in every statistic um, that we've seen so far this year, that was pretty surprising. And I think kind of says a lot about what's going on in Buffalo right now. I think Sean McDermott is kind of just trying to figure out what is going on. And I'm just going to, we're going to, we're going to shuffle some things to try to make things work. Um, Anyways, it'll be curious to see. I think Joe Brady is probably as good of an interim as you're going to get. We'll see how much they actually change. Um, But I mean, as a guy in terms of, uh, you know, promise uh, Joe Brady is one of those guys that I can imagine having a offensive coordinator job in the future and then years to come after that um, and then also shout out to the Broncos like you know not really getting enough, getting enough love for what they did um, not just last night but the last few weeks they've been on a tear like honestly a very good showing from their defense Vance Joseph especially like that defense was a bit one of the worst defenses we have ever seen in the history of professional football um, basically through seven weeks and then after that they figured it out against Kansas City even on the road when they lost, it was only 19 to eight. Wasn't a bad showing by their defense. And they had a, they won 19 to seven. Then at home held Kansas city's offense to nine points, one twenty four to nine. And then the Buffalo defense, 24 to 22, like a very good job. And I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I was, I was staunch against the Broncos. I thought this was an entire, this entire debacle was a disaster. Um, but they've, they've turned some things around. They're kind of moving in the right direction. Russell Wilson's playing better this season for sure. Um, and if that defense can kind of turn things around, you know, maybe they make a little run, maybe, maybe make, and they're in a very difficult, like a very, very difficult division, obviously. Um, but the fact that they split two against the chiefs, that's huge. I mean, I say difficult. That's probably too much of it. Cause I always assume they're gonna be difficult. The Raiders are playing very good now, ever since they fired Josh McDaniels. Um, Antonio, Antonio Pierce looks like he's been a godsend for that team in that locker room. Um, Chargers, I just, I've given up on the Chargers at this point. I have no idea. I have no idea which Chargers team I'm going to get every week. Um, 
But so the Broncos, you know, maybe they make a little run. Maybe they make a little, a little run. Try to try to hunt speed towards a wild card, a wild card spot. And if not, you take that into next season. You know, positivity towards the end of the year, because um, they're definitely better than they were at the beginning of the season. Like way better, way, way, way better than they were at the beginning of this year. So shout out the Broncos. I mean, honestly, good turnaround. Um, speaking of speaking of the Chargers. A guy that's seat is scorching hot, in my opinion, scorching hot, like burning at this point, is Brandon Staley. I don't think there is a situation in which Brandon Staley comes back from this season. Um, I think it's probably over, especially since he was the guy that they brought in um, as the defensive-minded head coach or whatever, um, coming from defensive background. And I again, Lions are a very good football team. They put up 41 against the Chargers, 41 to 38. But some of the stuff that you could see in that game were just uh, like fundamental issues that was happening. They were getting blown off the uh, the defensive line. There was a lot of gap issues from their linebackers. Uh, their their cornerbacks were biting on bad uh, bad routes up front that led to first downs. Like there was a lot of fundamental stuff that was really causing issues. And Brandon Saley, as the guy that's supposed to be the defensive head coach, that's going to come in uh, and ha- did basically the first year had a very good first season as the head coach um, and improved their defense substantially. Um, for them to have as many just bad fundamental errors as they have had. Um, I, I just, there's, I, I don't see a positive here. I don't see a positive in which they keep him on for the remainder. I mean, maybe the remainder of the season, but not going into next season. I think this is probably it for Brandon Staley. I think this is the last time we'll see him as the head coach for the chargers. That's my prediction. I think he's probably going to get let go at the end of the season would not be stunned by that whatsoever. Um, especially after last week, just cause I mean, again, the lions are a very good football team. Like that's probably the second best team in the NFC right now behind, uh, the Eagles. I like that's insane saying that honestly, because it's the, you know, it's the lions. We've, they've been the laughing stock of the NFL for the last uh, forever, I guess. Um, I mean, the, the most notable thing that that franchise has ever done is retire both of their player, their most famous players early in Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders. So to see them being basically the se- I think the second best team in the NFC right now, um, it's pretty eye-opening, but still the chargers, like they have all the talent in the world and should be able to hang, not just hang with that team, but should contend for the AFC West, especially with how, um, I guess kind of middling the offense for the chiefs has been so far this year. Um, but they haven't, it's the worst year that they've had in the past three years uh, by far. And their defense has just not been very good whatsoever. It's another team that deals with a lot of injuries, but so does every other NFL team as well. Um, that's just how the NFL works. It's a war of attrition. But for whatever reason, they just they cannot get over the hump. They cannot do it. I, I just whenever I see them play, I'm like, how is this happening? I don't understand how this is happening. They have Justin Herbert, one of the greatest pieces of talent at the quarterback position we've ever seen. Still a little raw, I would say, but I mean, he is definitely, in my opinion, going to develop into a very good, a very very good quarterback. Obviously, um, and they just can't win football games. It blows my mind. It blows my mind that that team is struggling as much as they are. It just it it's a head scratcher. Um, so yeah, Brandon, Brandon Staley, I think is he's on his way out. In my opinion, I think it's it's at the 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 time is quickly coming to an end for Brandon Staley as the Chargers head coach. Um, one last note I want to point out, which is I I, I saw funny one last one last note I want to make a note of. Um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, black and yellow, very prominent black and yellow colors. They're six and three. I don't understand how. Don't get it. But that also made me think. Like they're six and three, winning basically only by defense. Like because their offense is terrible, just god awful, awful, awful. Jalen Warren had a pretty good game yesterday. 
especially with how terrible the run game has been under with Najee Harris behind behind center or behind the quarterback or whatever, however you want to say it. Uh, Jalen Warren came out and had an actual like decent running game, and that was a breath of fresh air for Pittsburgh Steelers fans, I'm sure. Um, but their defense is stellar. Like TJ Watt's an unbelievable player at the, off the edge, um, and just like that team is so good on defensive side of the ball. But who does that remind you of? Black and yellow colors. Very good defense, terrible offense, just a terrible offense you can't count on. Who's there remind you of? That's right, ladies and gentlemen. The Pittsburgh Steelers are the Iowa Hawkeyes of the NFL. That's who they are. They're still going to win because it's Mike Tomlin. They're going to get. They're going to win their games. They're six and three somehow. I don't know how they're six and three. They cause insane problems for uh, Lamar Jackson and that Ravens offense whenever they're playing. Uh, just it's really weird. Like the, the Ravens are only bad, like bad offensively against the Steelers. Like that's the only team they can't score against. They can score against the the Browns, who are, have had a one of the historically good defenses up to this point in the season. Granted, they lost, but they still put up 37 points or whatever. I think it was 37 points um, against that Browns defense. They were well on their way to winning that football game before they blew in the fourth quarter. Um, but for whatever reason, Ravens can't play good against the Steelers. And the Steelers just have that. They have that magic touch. I don't know what it is. Don't know how they do it, but they just do it. And that's very Iowa of them, including the black and white or the black and yellow uniforms. They, they're based, They're just turning into Iowa. The Pittsburgh Steelers are just turning into Iowa football or vice versa. However you want to say it, but they're, they're interconnected. They're two equal signs. That's what they are. Pittsburgh Steelers equal Iowa football. It's the same thing. I don't, I don't get how the Steelers are doing what they're doing. It's, it blows my mind. Like in a, in a world where in a football, in the NFL right now, it's never been more important to have a very good quarterback and a very good effective offense to win football games. And the Steelers are just like, we, we don't need any of those things. We don't need either. We'll win the football game still. Like we can just beat you with defense and score a couple times in special teams, maybe a defensive touchdown and we'll beat you. Like that's how we'll win. Quarterback be damned. We don't need it. We barely need it at this point in 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 the NFL season. We don't need a quarterback. Can you pick it? We'll throw the ball three times three down three yards down the field all game and we'll win. We'll win 22 to 14. And you'll be like, well, how? The Steelers, man. I, that's the Steelers for you. Uh okay. That's going to wrap up the show, ladies and gentlemen. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Um, yeah. Leave a five-star rating on all of those podcasting platforms. Uh, remember to tell your buddies to um, turn off their porch light because it'll t- save up energy. Remember that? Wash in cold water, of course. Uh, it'll keep the clothes nice and beautiful colors, and it saves energy there as well. You know, don't have to take all the hot water or anything. Uh, and then, of course, uh, along with those two things, two very important things, Leave a five-star rating on the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Just put all three of those things in one big piece of paper, put it on the porch for your neighbor, and say, hey, thanks, and then give them one of those the signature hand waves that you give to waivers. Well, neighbors, not like an actual wave, just one of the hand flies up, hey, and then go back into your house. Thanks. I appreciate that so much. Uh, we'll see you guys next week, next Tuesday, same place, same time. Happy Thanksgiving, almost Thanksgiving, by the way. So it's going to be a pretty good, a good one next week. So stay tuned for that. Um, But for now, this has been the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast, and I have been your host, James Timberlake.